He was about the height of a six-year-old boy, but clearly stronger. It was as if too much body had been fitted into too little skin. He wore a close-fitting, dark green coat, tailored to his special measurements, and had a silk cravat around his neck. A murmur filled the hall as Neumann approached Kempelin. None of the audience had ever seen Neumann play chess. The president of the chess club asked for other volunteers, men known to be good chess players, hoping that the automaton might yet be forced into a draw. But he was hissed down. Yes, the Turk had proved itself unbeatable, but at least a match between a machine and a dwarf would be well worth watching. Kempelin did not pull out the chair for the little watchmaker, as he had for his two predecessors. Like them, Neumann sat at a separate table with a separate chessboard, leaving the audience a clear view of the Turk. Kempelin waited until the dwarf was seated, then cleared his throat and asked the audience to be quiet and pay attention. Meanwhile, Neumann was looking at the chessboard and the sixteen red chessmen in front of him as if he had never seen their like before. His shoulders were hunched. He was sitting on his hands like a child. Kempelin's assistant wound up the chess automaton with a crank, and the clockwork began to move, creaking. The Turk raised its head, moved its left arm over the chessboard, and with three fingers placed a pawn in the middle of the board, the opening that it had used in the other two games. The assistant copied the move on Neumann's chessboard, but the dwarf did not react. He didn't even look up. He just examined every one of his chessmen like old friends whom he had long thought dead. The audience began to shift restlessly. Wolfgang von Kempelen was about to speak when Neumann finally bestirred himself. He moved his king's pawn two squares forward, challenging the Turk's white pawn. Venice, 1769 On an anonymous November day in the year 1769, Tibor Scardanelli had woken up in a windowless prison cell, with encrusted blood on his swollen face and a splitting headache. He groped in vain for a jug of water in the dim light. The reek of alcohol on his ragged clothes turned his stomach. He dropped back on the straw mattress and leaned against the cold lead of the wall. Certain experiences in his life were obviously bound to recur. He was destined to be cheated, robbed, beaten, arrested, and left to starve. On the previous evening, the dwarf had been playing chess for money in a tavern, and he spent his first winnings on brandy instead of a proper meal. So he was already drunk when the young merchant challenged him to play for a stake of two guilders. Tibor was winning the game easily, but when he bent to pick up a dropped coin, the Venetian put his queen back on the board, although she had been taken long ago. Tibor protested, but the merchant wouldn't give way, much to his companion's amusement. Finally, he offered the dwarf a draw and took back his stake, amidst the laughter of the spectators. The alcohol had clouded Tibor's reason. He seized the merchant's hand as it clutched his money. 
In the ensuing scuffle, he and the Venetian both fell to the floor. Tibor was getting the better of it, until one of the merchant's companions smashed the brandy jug over his head. Tibor did not lose consciousness, even when the Venetians took turns beating him up. After that, they handed him over to the Carabinieri, explaining that the dwarf had cheated them at play, and then attacked and robbed them. Thereupon, the Carabinieri took him to the nearest prison, the leaden chambers of the Piombi, at the top of the Doge's palace. Tibor's assailants had left him neither what little money he had, nor his chessboard. But at least his amulet of the Madonna was still around his neck. He clutched it with both hands and prayed to the Mother of God to get him out of this hole. Before he had come to the end of his prayer, the jailer opened his...